May I speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. There's nothing more intimidating than asking someone to give a sermon and then strapping the microphone to them. <laughs> I think, what have I done? But when Malcolm asked me to speak, he asked me to speak about the epiphany, the story of the Magi that we just read. And I thought, oh, it's so exciting. It's something that I've heard a lot about, but I know very little about. And there's so much we could say. We could talk about um, Isaiah, his prophecy that we just read. Darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will appear over you. Because epiphany, the thing we're celebrating today, means to shine upon or to reveal, like the sun shines upon the earth. It's the Greek word for sunrise. The sun will shine upon those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Familiar words to us. The epiphany, the sun has risen. We can see the darkness has disappeared. Christmas is an epiphany. Christmas is the revelation of Jesus. And today we celebrate especially the revelation of Jesus to the Gentiles through these mysterious people, the Magi. Or in some translations we have wise men. Or in some songs we have three kings from the Orient. And we see them at the front when we do our nativity play. And it's always the, the children who maybe don't speak very clearly, get the, get the role of the, the king holding the, the gold and here. Uh. But what were they doing? Why did they come? Who were they? And why did Matthew think it was worth writing about? Who were they? We don't really know. All Matthew tells us is that there are magi, which is just the translators giving up and trying to figure it out. They just said, okay, here's what it says in Greek, so we'll call them magi, because we don't know. Wise men? Yeah, they, they probably were wise men. The magi were perhaps um, uh, magicians, um, court advisors in, in a king's court, uh, astrologers, most probably, perhaps even Zoroastrian priests. They weren't really who you'd expect to come worship Jesus. They shouldn't be the first people in line to worship Jesus. They were from the east. Um, there were not a lot of people friendly to Israel in that time in the east. Babylon was in the east, the place where Israel was in captivity for years. And that's where Daniel became one of the chief advisors to the king, if you remember. Daniel became the, the advisor, the, the, the ruler of the other magi, the other court advisors, and he maybe taught them some of the prophecy, showed them the, the prophet Jeremiah, his prophecy of a king coming to Israel. Perhaps they picked something up, and years later, they were on the lookout for the star that would fulfill the prophecy. The king of the Jews had arrived. They had been waiting for hundreds of years, perhaps. And when they saw the star, they knew what it meant. We could talk about how they fulfilled the prophecies that we read from Psalms and from Isaiah about kings bringing gold and frankincense, which is true. They did bring gold, the gifts you give to a king, 
They brought frankincense, which was used in temple worship. They brought myrrh, which was used in worship, but also in burial. They brought appropriate gifts to Jesus. The Magi. But they're not the only characters in this story. There's another character, Herod. So instead of focusing on the prophecies or or the, the great long story of God shining light onto the dark earth, I'd like to focus on the reactions of two different groups of people. On the one hand, the Magi, wise men from the east. On the other hand, Herod, who is called King of the Jews. Who was he? He was born and raised south of uh, Jerusalem. His father was a ruler. He was appointed a ruler, and even eventually appointed by Mark Antony as, quote, the king of the Jews by the Roman Senate. He was the king of the Jews. He was also extremely paranoid. He had his siblings killed and his wife killed when he thought they might be plotting against him, when they thought they might even think about plotting against him. He had them killed. He built fortresses just in case there was an insurrection so that he and his family could go hide and be safe. Behind every corner, he saw a threat to his sovereignty, to his power. He even was so worried that no one would cry when he died that he said, after I die, round up all the top leaders in the land and kill them all on the day of my funeral so that someone will cry the day I'm buried. He knew how popular he was. (laughs) Of course, his children ignored his request and they just buried him without killing anyone. And I doubt that anyone really cried. But to Herod, being sovereign was the thing. Having the power was the thing. So we come to Jesus. The Magi ask Herod, we've heard someone has been born. He's the king of the Jews. Where is he? We'd like to worship him. And of course, Herod, you don't have to be paranoid to think, king of the Jews, I am the king of the Jews. Where is this imposter? Herod knows what to do with people who think they're the king. You kill them and everyone around them just to be safe. So he sends them off to find Jesus, says, bring a report back because I also would like to worship him. They go and they find him and the star leads them to the house where Mary and the baby are. I don't know what kind of star. I don't know how it happened. I don't know if it showed them the exact house. I don't know if it was planets lining up. I have no idea. But somehow God used a star to lead people from the east, traditional enemies of Israel, sorcerers, magicians, to Jesus. And they were ready. When they saw it, they came and they worshipped. When Herod heard about the king of the Jews, He heard about it and he came and he killed all the babies under two years old. Two radically different responses, aren't they? That's what I'd like to talk about, the two responses we have to Jesus. Because when something's revealed, you have a choice. Like Paul says, the mystery that's been hidden for long ages past has been revealed. And he says that I'm a minister of it. 
And when, it, when something is revealed, you have a choice. You respond to it. When someone says, Jesus is the king, there's a response. And on the one hand, the people you expect least to do it are worshiping Jesus. And on the other hand, the person who's supposed to be waiting for the salvation of Israel, the, the king of the Jews, rejects Jesus. There are two responses. So, of course, the next question is, what is our response to Jesus? What is our response to the epiphany, to the revelation, to the sun shining upon us? Because certainly we can close our eyes. Certainly we can even hide behind things like um, religiosity. I go to church. I'm baptized. I, I, I read my Bible. I'm a generally good person or I'm a strong person, or, or I have influence, or good friends. I love my family. Those are all good things. But we can use them to avoid the question. And the question is, now that Jesus has been revealed, will you worship him? Will you follow him? Or will you be Herod? Will you, will you reject his power and maintain your own sovereignty over your life? Certainly we can't make that choice to follow Jesus by ourselves. It's, it's so extraordinarily hard. But the same mercy that God showed to these magi by guiding them to Jesus, bringing them right there with this star, he shows to us, he guides us right to Jesus and prepares us to make our response. So Jesus is the king. He has been revealed. How do we respond not only the first time when we make our profession of faith, I am a Christian, but every day, how do we respond? If Jesus is king, that means that the presidents are not in charge. The prime ministers are not in charge. The CEOs are not in charge. Herod isn't. Bill Gates isn't. No one is. I am not and you are not, except for Jesus. Jesus is in charge. That's the reality that we, that we come up against every day and make our choice to recognize the epiphany, the light that has shined or not. So what comes next? Once we've chosen to worship Jesus, what does that mean? What do we do next? A good starting place would be keep coming to church, keep listening, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open to to understand where is Jesus leading? What is he like and what does it mean to follow him? It's certainly not just a thing we do individually. I follow Jesus by myself. It's a thing we do all together. We follow Jesus as St. Andrew's Moscow. We follow Jesus as the universal church together with Orthodox and Catholics and, and, and all our brothers and sisters. We do it together. But the question, the central question remains for all of us the question that we help one another to answer and to follow through on. How do we respond to Jesus? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your mercy in revealing your son to us. We ask that you would, in your mercy, help us to respond to him with gratitude and thanksgiving by surrendering our own sovereignty and recognizing yours.
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.